begin this morning. I bring you greetings from Millwood Baptist Church. Uh, I'm missing my church this morning, but I am very thankful to have the opportunity to preach God's Word and to join you today. Uh, I want to say just a word about your pastor. I uh, continue to get him to know him better and better, and I know that he loves the Lord, and I know that he loves you, and he loves for you to hear God's Word. So it makes, uh, makes it a great privilege to be here to speak to you today, understanding uh, that that is your normal diet uh, to hear God's Word every week. Amen? It's a true, true uh, blessing. Before we turn to Acts 17 and then eventually to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we will answer our question this morning. Uh, I want to share with you about an experience that I had in Beijing. Uh, as Samuel uh, shared with you, my uh, wife and I were in Hong Kong for four years and before that I was an intern at International Baptist Church for a year. My family came to visit and we took a trip to Beijing. Uh, we Went to see the Great Wall, uh, we stayed in a hotel just across from the Forbidden Palace, and we saw a lot of the old city. And one day, my family and I were driving around, or actually we were being driven around uh, in the old city, and, and we saw a familiar sight uh, that uh, one glance caught our attention, and it was a, a golden M, a golden M, two arches. It was a McDonald's, and we were excited. Uh, similar joy, the golden arches almost were to us like the golden gates. We were, we, now we have arrived somewhere, and we, we urged for our driver to please pull over. We had uh, been eating chicken feet for three days, and we were ready for a burger with cheese and ketchup. And so we went in, and uh, not uh, being sure... Uh, about the beef, I decided to go for the chicken, and so I walked to the counter, and I asked for nine chicken McNuggets, and there was a menu in quasi-English on the counter, and I pointed to nine chicken McNuggets, and the server on the other side of the counter yelled back her order. She said, 18 chicken McNuggets, and I thought to myself, that's okay. You, you, you know, I, I need to work on, on my communication here, so I just brought her back, and I pointed back to the table, and I said, no, I just wanted nine chicken McNuggets. And she looked at me, and she said, 18 chicken McNuggets. And I thought, oh, goodness, I, uh, I do not want 18 chicken McNuggets. Um, I need to communicate more clearly. So I was young at this time in my international travel, and so I did what many Americans embarrassingly do. I thought to myself, if I say it louder, she will understand. <laughs> this is not true actually insulting. And so I said to her, I, I just want nine, and I held my fingers up, I just want nine chicken McNuggets. And she looked at me almost angrily as if I understand what you are saying. And she said again, 18 chicken McNuggets. And she, she yelled the order in the back. And I, I am now thinking there is an international version of of, you know, like uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, and I'm about to be on it. You know, there, there's a camera. I don't understand what's going on. And about this time, a manager came out, and I expressed to her, I said, listen, I, I don't want to cause any problems, but I just, I'm trying to order nine. She keeps giving me 18, and I just, I just want nine. And she goes, no, sir, I don't, I don't think you understand. Today is buy one, get one free day. <laughs> she totally understood everything I was saying. She was trying to, to help me. Have you ever been in a conversation where you are speaking to someone and it seems like they don't hear, they don't understand what you're saying? 
probably a room full of wives are saying, yes, that's what it's like every day with my husband. I know what that's like every day. Maybe if you have ever attempted to share the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you have had a moment where I'm saying the words as clearly as I can. They're just not understanding. Why aren't they believing? Why aren't they understanding? I've said the gospel so many times, and it's like they don't understand. I, I may as well be speaking English, and they're speaking Chinese. What is it that makes people believe? Why don't some believe? Why do some believe? Maybe you've asked yourself this question theologically. You've wrestled with what, what makes a person believe, and you've read big books, or you've discovered, and, and you've searched through Scripture, or maybe you've just experienced personally the frustration of talking with your neighbors or your family members about Christ, and it seems to be going nowhere. Well, today I think Paul has an answer for this question that will help us shape our methodology, our, our thinking, as, as well as just help, help any anxiety we may have in our hearts when we share the gospel. And to God's glory, some believe or some don't. What do we do with that? The Bible, I believe, has an answer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So I want to do this this morning. I want us to ask the question, why ask the question why they believe? Personal experience, obviously, but why would we ask this question? Why is this an important question to answer? Why do some believe and some don't? And then I want to say really quickly, as, a, as an interval kind of, what, what doesn't make people believe? And then I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and see why Paul thanks God for the church in Thessalonica who did believe. So why is this question an important question? What doesn't make people believe? And why did they believe in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, 3, 5? Would you pray with me one more time? Ask God to bless our time in the Word today. Father, we come to you this morning, and this is your Word. These are not men's words. These are not men's thoughts. They're your words, your thoughts for our edification, for our building up, for our understanding you, for our encouragement to help us grow in righteousness, to help us grow in faithfulness in preaching the gospel. Your word is, is here to correct, to reprove, to convict, to bring us to righteousness, to, to help us be equipped for every good work, and that includes, in particular, the spreading of of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, would you equip us this morning? Would you strengthen our faith this morning? Encourage our hearts. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement through your word. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray this now, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. What would make us ask this question, why don't they believe? What would make us ask this question, why do some believe and some don't? I have six reasons 
why we should ask this question before we even answer it. Six, six things that make this question important. Give it grounds as a question worth answering. First is the account which we heard in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. We have this, this occasion where Paul has gone to preach to the church, or excuse me, to those in Thessalonica, and there are many who believe, or some believe, and some don't believe. And this is indicative of the entire story of the book of Acts. Everywhere Paul goes, everywhere Paul goes, it seems that there are some who embrace the message of the gospel with joy and anxiousness and excitement, and there are some who just want to throw rocks at Paul. Why? It's everywhere. It's not just Thessalonica. It's the whole testimony of the book of Acts. Maybe this is a, a Jewish or, or a Greek thing. Maybe the problem is that the Jews were rejecting Jesus, but the Greeks were believing. But Paul tells us in Acts 17, some of them, meaning the Jews, they were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and so did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So, so there is not an, an ethnic reason that some people believe and some people don't Believe, And we can make the same case for Jesus' ministry. He followed Jesus' ministry. There are some who, when they see Jesus cast out a demon, even attribute that great grace to Satan himself. Why is it that some eyes are open and some are closed, that some believe and some do not? This is such good news, our salvation. Why do some believe and some don't? The story of Acts, Acts chapter 17 in particular, raises this question for us, why some and not others. The second reason is, very peculiarly, if that's a word, those who believed, believed in the midst of much persecution. They believed to their own peril. Paul says this to the church in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, And you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you received the word, the gospel, in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So there are these people in Thessalonica, when they believed, they believed in the midst of persecution. So it was worth their lives. It was worth their comfort. It was not easy for them to believe. Why would they do it then? In Acts chapter 17, we see that there is a conspiracy against Paul and those who believe in the community. There is an uproar in the city, a rabble built up against those who believe. There is a tax against the friends of Christians in their homes. They are accused of denying the political authority of the land by denying Caesar's rule. And they're saying, these Christians are saying, there's another king, King Jesus. So they're being accused of treason. Why? Why would they believe? This is not just a choice between red and blue. No consequence. Not just a choice between chicken fajitas and fajita nachos, which we all know are the same thing two different ways. It doesn't matter which one you choose. It's really the same thing. It's like the difference between A&M and the University of Texas. Oh, it's too far, too far. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I went to the University of Mary Harden Baylor. It's God's favorite university. Sorry. But for them to choose to follow Jesus Christ, it was no small thing. 
They were willing to lay down their lives and their property and their money and their reputations in the city to believe in Jesus. What would make them do that? There's a great book called The Son of Hamas about the son of one of the founders of the Hamas terrorist organization. He eventually became a dual agent for Hamas and Israel. And while undercover uh, for Hamas and Israel, he was attending the uh, university in Jerusalem. And one day he was walking through one of the old gates and there was a Christian there who was leading a Bible study. And the Christian stopped this man uh, uh, thinking he's just a normal guy, not that he's a double agent for Hamas and Israel. And she says, would you like to come to a Bible study at our apartment tonight? And in order to keep cover, he did. And he went, and long story short, the man came to believe in Jesus Christ and was later baptized in the Jordan River with his father, a leader in Hamas. Needless to say, it was not easy for him to make such a decision. What would make someone do that with such great cost? Next reason is, that some people don't believe even when it's easy to believe. Some believe in the midst of great persecution, and some don't believe really when there is nothing to lose in the world, so to speak. Increasingly in America, Christianity is being pushed into a minority in a corner, less and less respected. But we are still very, very, very free to believe what we will in this nation. Very free. I'm reading a book right now called... Uh, I don't remember the name of the book. It's called Pastor's Kid, something like that. It's about a pastor's son. I don't know if you know the pastor named John Piper. It's his son, Barnabas Piper. Barnabas is the son of John Piper, one of the leading evangelicals in our day. And Barnabas was not a believer for many, many, many years until his late 20s, mid-20s, young 30s. I don't remember how old. But if there is ever an opportunity to believe where there was going to be no persecution, in fact, you would be praised in your community for believing this was one. And yet Barnabas fled from the gospel, fled from the church, even when it would be easy for him to do. Another reason that we should ask this question, why do they believe, why do some and some not, is because of our personal experience in evangelism we've ever shared the gospel with someone and we've been rejected, we go home wondering, what should I have done? I should have said something differently. They asked questions and my answers were really simple and dumb. I, would have, I wish I would have go back and do it differently. Maybe they would believe if I could do it better. I, in Hong Kong, my wife and I uh, never owned a vehicle. Uh, transportation was taxis and buses and every Sunday morning I would take spend the extra money to get a taxi to the church one Sunday morning I was on the way and I just began to feel the Lord leading me you should say something to this taxi driver about the Lord and my first thought was no I need to be thinking about church things I got to go to church and get ready for church how silly is that? God, I don't have time to witness. I got a preaching sermon to think about. I mean, that's, that's my struggle. So on the way, I began to share, and I just said, hey, I, I just want to ask you a few questions. Have you ever heard of the, the person of Jesus Christ? And the man says, no. And I said, can I share with you a little bit about who Jesus is? And he said, okay. 
And so I began to share about Jesus and about sin and about God and there only being one God and He being the Creator and how our sin deserves punishment before God. But thank God He sent Jesus Christ to die for us and the man began to get very vehement toward me. And I began to realize very soon that uh, our, not only was our journey about to end, but our conversation was essentially over. He didn't want to hear anything that I had to say. And so I got out of the taxi thinking, great, that was, re- that was really great. You know, that went really well. Wow. The next Sunday, I am in another taxi, normal Sunday routine. And I feel the Lord leading me, saying, Nathan, you should speak to this man about Christ. And I'm thinking, yeah, because that went really well last week <laughs> when we tried that, wrestling through these things. And so I just spoke up and I said, can I ask you a question? He said, okay. I said, have you ever, ever heard about Jesus? The man said, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know anything about him. And I've never met anyone who knows anything about him. Would you share with me what you know about Jesus? Okay. We're already on a better foot than we were last week. And as I began to share, he began to ask questions. We began to talk. And our converse, we're deep into our conversation when we arrived at the church and realized now we don't even have time to talk and the guy wants to talk more. And so I got him a Bible and gave him some books. And I, I just remember walking away going, God, what, what was the difference? Who knows what's going on in their lives? Who knows what their experience with the church has been before in the years? But God, to me, it's... It's very strange. There's a lady in our church in Hong Kong named Annie. One of the only Christians for a while in her family, her father, uh, a Buddhist. And she shared the gospel with him over and over and over for years. 20, 30 plus years. One day he got sick and went to the hospital And after Annie had shared the gospel for so many years, it was someone else, if I remember correctly, a sister, maybe another friend, who came and shared the gospel with Annie's father in the hospital after all these years. And he prayed and trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. 30 years, over and over and over, the family shared. And then just one day, it just... His eyes were open. It's like he could understand now. Why? Our personal experience drives us to understand. Another reason that we should ask this question is because of what is at stake. Look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 to 3. Acts 17, verse 2 and 3. Paul's message about what Paul shared while he was there. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, the th- and on three Sabbath days, so not just one day, he spoke about Jesus multiple days in a row. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And apparently Paul was adding that this Christ was the king. Because remember, the Christians were being blamed of of giving allegiance to another king, Jesus, and not Caesar. So there is this message 
that it was necessary for Jesus to die, that Jesus is the king. Why was it necessary for Jesus to die? Because of our sin. Because of the sinfulness of the world all the way back to Adam and Eve, the sinfulness in our hearts and our minds, our rebellion against God, where we would rather live life our way with our rules, with our understanding of pleasure and joy rather than God's. It was necessary for Jesus to die. If Jesus would not die, there would be no salvation for anyone. That's Paul's message. Jesus came to die because that's the only hope. Is it the Son of God, the holy, pure, sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God will come lay down His life on the cross for us and that He would resurrect to be the King eternal. Can you think of a more important message for anyone to believe? The King of the entire world wants our allegiance because of His gracious death for us and he invites us to have faith in him trust him believing in him for salvation and give him allegiance as king and if we don't there is retribution for our sin if we choose to reject Jesus Christ we are not part of his kingdom we are not part of the eternal kingdom and we face the wrath of God for the sins that we've committed against the holy creator God the message is that Jesus died for us that if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. This is the most important message. I, I am a Cowboys fan. It's not very fun. Try convincing someone else to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. It's not going to happen. Just, they just don't, you have to be born into it, I think. No one just changes over. But you know what? Who cares? I don't care about the Dallas Cowboys. I don't care about Texas A&M or the University of Texas. What's the most important thing is that people believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Their eternities depend upon it. And so when it comes to what makes a person believe, why would someone reject this? Why would someone turn away? from the Son of the living God dying for their sins. And why would some believe? Finally, we must answer this question because what works informs our methods. What works informs our method. How we share the gospel, how we speak to others, this message depends on what makes it work. What, what do we have to do? What, what's our part? What are we supposed to do in order to get other people to believe? Because so often I feel like I'm speaking English to Chinese and I wish there was some other tool to make it, make it better or more powerful or what can I do to make it work? We're renovating our building right now at our church. And we've wrestled with a few things. Not in any divisive way, but in how important are certain areas of our building. Because if this area is prettier, if this area is like this, it will, it will do things to people when they come in. It will affect how they feel. It will affect how they listen. And while I think those things are important, and I'm thankful this is a very beautiful church, we can, we can go bad quickly 
And there are many churches that do. Many people that do. Well, they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting King Jesus. Clearly, Jesus is not beautiful enough. Let's make him more beautiful. Let's get a celebrity to come in. And, and people will come to hear him. What we need are, are some games and, and raffles. And the list goes on. We're tempted at our church to use those things. We're always trying to find ways. And surely Paul just does say, however I can, I want to win them. But it could be so tempting to, to add things, make the gospel message more inviting by putting other things that people naturally enjoy around it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's easy to lose heart when we share the gospel sometimes. But Paul says we don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. He says, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We need to answer this question, what makes people believe? Because we will be tempted to add things that might make them believe. We, we think we can make them believe other ways. But Paul says, the open statement of the truth gives us a clean conscience before men and before the sight of God that we have trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ. We begin to wonder why people don't believe and why some do. We may be tempted to think that it is in our hands to make something else happen. Speak louder. <laughs> I want to say a couple of things really quickly that do not make people believe, and we'll answer our question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Two things that do not make people believe. Hearing with ears and seeing with eyes. Two things. I could, we could do a much longer list. There's two things that don't make people believe. Hearing with their ears and seeing with their eyes. I remember hearing just a few days ago that the Dallas Cowboys as part of their season tickets, are going ahead and giving out uh, playoff tickets because they are so sure they're going to make the playoffs. I did not believe that until I saw it. There's no way they would do that. That is really silly. We hear things, it doesn't mean that we believe them. And we see things, and it doesn't mean that we believe them. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. Four. I do have uh, the same Bible that you have in front of you, those uh, black pew Bibles. So let me get there. I will give you a page number. 1 Thessalonians, page 986. Page 986. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. He says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word... In other words, hearing the word was not enough. Just hearing the gospel message is not enough. Everyone that day in Acts 17 heard the message with their ears. Likewise, seeing with our eyes is not enough. Seeing with our eyes is 
not enough. I want to save a little time here, so I won't ask you to turn, but in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of a rich man and Lazarus. You may remember this story, and the rich man and Lazarus both die. Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man goes into Hades. And in this parable, there is a conversation between uh, the rich man who, though he had everything in the world, now had nothing in the afterlife, and he's speaking to Abraham, and he's saying, listen, just, just let me go back. Let me go back and tell my brothers that I missed it, that I put all my hope and riches, and, and now I have nothing in the afterlife. Let me go back. And Jesus said something very interesting. He said to them, he said to the rich man, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Is Jesus speaking about the rich man rising from the dead, or is Jesus speaking about himself? Both. Doesn't matter if you were to go back from the dead. Doesn't make people believe. Doesn't make people believe. Even if I, the Son of God, raised from the dead, and people see me with their eyes, it will not make them believe that I am the Son of God, crucified for their sins. And it's interesting, in this passage, he says they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced. Moses and the prophets represent the Old Testament law, and the prophets, the word of God and the law, and the word of God, the message to repent from the prophets. It's the word. If they don't believe the word, they won't believe when someone is raised from the dead. Hearing with our ears does not make us believe. Seeing with our eyes does not make anyone believe anything, much less the Son of God came to save us. You ever wrestled with this, though? Have you ever wrestled this with your own experience in evangelism? Maybe we've even informed our prayers with this thinking, God, they don't believe, but if you would do something, if they could see something, they would believe. It's not true. Not true. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Let us be resolved and encouraged with God's word. Why don't they believe? What makes them believe? This letter is written back to those in Thessalonica who believed. Those who did believe. The church gathered. The baptized believers in Jesus Christ. Paul's writing back to them. And listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 5. I'll read it and then we'll bring out a few things. Paul says to the church, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope and our Lord Jesus Christ, the King. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. A few things here. The first thing that I want to bring out of this text is that the word did come. 
The word did come. Don't let, don't let, let Paul's statement that the gospel did not come into you word only mean that it was something besides the word through which they were saved. No, the word came. The gospel came. There is no way to believe in Jesus to call out on him in faith without hearing. That's Romans 10, 14 through 15. How can they call upon him they've not heard? How can they hear unless there is a preacher? They can't. They can't believe in Jesus unless they don't hear. So they've got to hear. They've got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to believe in him. The word comes. You may have heard this phrase before. Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I agree with this statement. I just think that it's always necessary to use words. The gospel is words. The gospel is the word. It's necessary to use words because the gospel, the message by which we are saved, it is words. It's news. Try communicating your daily news to your neighbor with something other than words. Just act it out for them tomorrow. I don't know if you heard. Lakers won. Oh, thanks. You could have just told me. That's how news works. You just use your words. I'm trying to teach my two-year-old son. Use words, buddy. Use words. Screaming doesn't mean much to us. The gospel is words. The word came. They were saved because they heard the word and believed in the word. Don't mistake this to mean that there are ways that people can be saved besides hearing the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe they will just happen. Maybe they will just... The next thing, verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word. So, so something happened beyond hearing the words, though. They heard the word, but it wasn't just hearing the word. Because in Acts 17, Paul preached the same words, the same message that it was necessary for Jesus to die, the same message that this is the Son of God, the Christ, the same message that this Jesus who died and rose again is the true King of the earth, same message. But to some it came not only in word. Some heard this message, they wanted to hurt Paul, it's ruining their business. And there are some, when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they wanted more, and they believed, and they continued to gather and hear. And Paul would write back to them later, thanking, them for their, thanking God for their belief. Something happened beyond the speaking of words, the gospel. And I want us to see that it had nothing to do with what these speakers could have done. It had nothing to do with what Paul would have done differently. The word, it says, came with power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. They were fully persuaded, fully convinced. They, they weren't just curious when they heard. They, they, it didn't just come with, oh, that sounds interesting. There's full conviction. There, there, there are many different things to say about this, but I, I would attribute this to the Holy Spirit in this passage. John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11 tells us Jesus giving us his disciples the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict concerning sin because they do not believe in me. I will convict 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He goes and he convicts people regarding sin because they don't believe in him. That's what's happening in Acts 17. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Coming and convicting the Holy Spirit concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's necessary for Jesus to die, because there's judgment coming, and the ruler of this world is judged. When the word came, the word came with full conviction. They were fully convicted in their hearts. When you hear the message of Jesus Christ dying for your sins, are you convicted? Are you convicted? Is there a stirring in your heart that you cannot explain other than these words are stirring and wrecking me? You tell me about my sin and need for Jesus, and I don't understand it, but it is wrecking me. It's convicting me to belief even. That's full conviction. Next, the word came in power, Paul says, not only in word, but it came in power and in the Holy Spirit. And I'll put these two together for today's sake. Really, you can put all of those three together, power, Holy Spirit, and full conviction. But it came in the Holy Spirit. The word power, it, it simply means ability. You have the ability to do something. You could say, I have the power to pick up my Bible. That's power. I have the ability to do that. This came with power to save, power to change and it came, it says, with the Holy Spirit. We need to stop and, and think and meditate on the Holy Spirit for just a moment. This Holy Spirit is not just a thing. It's not just a feeling that floats around there. This is God of God. The Spirit of God. Eternally dwelling with God as God what does the Holy Spirit come to do? We read in John 16, but go with me to John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. I want us to see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, John 3, 1 through 8. Turn in your Bibles with me there. John 3, verse 1 through 8, the story of Nicodemus coming to speak with Jesus. Jesus answers Nicodemus' question about the kingdom of God, but also gives him a lesson on the Holy Spirit. John 3, 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. True. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, not what Nicodemus was expecting. Truly, truly, in other words, this is really true. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's a lot of plays on words here. He cannot see the kingdom of God. It means see with his eyes, but also means enter. Jesus, Nicodemus says to him, verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Jesus, come on. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Listen to verse 8. Jesus concludes, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We cannot control the Holy Spirit. We can't just wield the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. It blows where it wishes. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit responds to our prayer, to our asking, to our steps of faith? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he does. But we cannot force his hands in any way. He is God. He, he, the Holy Spirit, blows, if you will, where he wishes. And John is saying something strange here. He says in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Now, right there, I think we would expect John to say, And the Holy Spirit's like the wind. This is a lesson on Holy Spirit. The wind blows around from tree to tree. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. That's, the Holy Spirit's like that. But that's not what Jesus says. The end of verse 8, he says, So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this is not just about what the Spirit can do. This is about what the Spirit does in individuals who must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit must, if you will, blow on them. It must fill them. It must do a work in them. Otherwise, they will not be born again. They can't be. Ephesians 2 says, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. This is what evangelism is like, folks. Evangelism is God telling us to go to the graveyard and tell the dead to raise. That's evangelism. Go tell the dead to come from death to life. That's why it's so frustrating. We can't do it. We can't make it happen. We could preach the word. Come. Come believe in Jesus for eternal life. Come from death to life. But we can't make the dead raise. But the Spirit can. But the Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can make men and women born again. That's the work of the Spirit. Why some and why not others? What a terrible thought. The wind blows where it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. So if the Spirit blows where it wishes, and if Jesus, as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin, then we can know that those who believed in Thessalonica believed because the Holy Spirit did a work in their minds and in their hearts. And this, oh, the mysteries of this work compound upon each other. 
Oh, the the beauty and glory of the work of the Holy Spirit when someone is converted from rebellion to allegiance, from pride to humility, from blindness to seeing, from death to life. And the gospel comes to our ears, the Holy Spirit may come and do a work. And for Paul, this work of the Holy Spirit is merely a confirmation of what he knew to be the truth about the church there. Look back, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4 again. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Why do they believe? Why does anyone ever believe? Let me summarize with this answer. Because faithful messengers bring the word, the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, and according to the sovereignty of God, the Holy Spirit comes so that the hearers do not hear in words only, they hear in power and in full conviction. That's why. One commentator says, for this reason is immediately added that it was not a bare preaching that had been brought to them, but such was conjoined with the efficacy of the Holy Spirit so that it, he, might obtain entire credit among them. This is why Paul does not start this conversation with the church saying, I thank you for believing. No. We thank God constantly for you in our prayers. Because without God, without a work of God that would, that would sting our rebellious, sinful hearts, there would be no change. There would be stone. There would be lifeless heart. But when the Spirit comes through the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ, new life can come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you thanked God lately for your faith? You see, Paul is writing a letter back to the Thessalonians, but it could just as easily have been written to us, the church. Park Hills Baptist Church, Millwood Baptist Church. Praise God. That when the word came to you, it did not come in word only, but with power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Have you thanked God for each other lately? Have you thanked God lately that those setting here among us as members of the church, we believe that they are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus Christ. Have we thanked God for one another? I thank God that when the word came to the people at Park Hills who are here now, it didn't just come in word only. Somewhere along the way, it came with power, with full conviction of the Holy Spirit. Thank God. There'll be thankfulness in our hearts that we're just Christians. And all the, the, the world is teaching us to want more stuff. It makes us into consumers. We, and we, if we're not careful, we'll come into the church going, I need something to be thankful for. I'm a member, I'm a, I'm a believer, but I'm looking for something to be thankful for. We're not thankful 
For the work of the Holy Spirit wrought in our hearts, we ought to be thankful. Every, we ought to be thankful people. Not just thankful sometimes. We ought to be thankful people. Thanking God for each other's faith and our own. Have you struggled in sharing the gospel recently? Or with the motivation to share the gospel? Maybe you've, you've tapped out of sharing the gospel because it didn't go well last time. In fact, you shared the gospel with someone at work and now that work relationship is awkward. It's kind of weird. So I'm, I'm just kind of done. It doesn't work. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 is for us. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart in this gospel ministry of grace. We don't give ourselves to cunning ways, eloquent words. We trust what Paul says in Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is powerful in itself when accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we go and when we share the gospel, we trust God. We show faithfulness by speaking. And we trust that the Holy Spirit will accompany our words. We trust Him in everything that we do. Maybe today you need to be convicted that we've not trusted God. Maybe we need to be encouraged that God works and that we can trust Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you above all things for your Son, Jesus Christ, coming to die for our sins. Father, today where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us with this word throughout the day, throughout the week? We need to be convicted, Father. Would you bring us back to believing your word? Motivate us with your word to go, to share, to speak. Trusting, Father, that when we speak, some may hear not in word only, but the Holy Spirit may, may work with us. We love you, Father. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.